The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a pop-up. First base side foul ground playable. Santana makes the catch. The Indians have won the American League pennant. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the seventh consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress throughout the 2017 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight for our show as we have returned after having... Some technical difficulties. Our server was down last week, so we weren't able to bring you the program last week. But we are back this week to talk to you about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And, of course, tonight going on is the Major League Baseball draft, and that's a big deal down in the state of Ohio, especially down in the Cincinnati area where the Reds have got three of the top 38 picks, and they are hoping to pin their future on this year's draft. And in order to talk about the draft and a lot more about the Cincinnati Reds, let's go down down south to our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? Well, I'm pretty good, Dave. Uh, I, I think for Reds fans, you hit it right on the head. This is a much bigger day, perhaps, for the Reds than it was for the Indians. Uh, the Indians, what they have with the 27th, 26th pick, I don't know what it was this year. No, the Indians don't have a pick until the second round. They gave it up when they signed Edwin Encarnacion last year. Well, it's definitely then a bigger deal for the Reds than it is the Indians. Uh, and we're going to get into the, the draft in a few minutes. Uh, but I, I wanted to, to alert fans of something else the Reds did this week that I don't think got enough press. And that is that they had signed a, a shortstop from Cuba, a 19-year-old shortstop. Uh, named uh, Jose Garcia. And I, I was talking to some friends of mine who know Garcia and, and his talents and, and his upside, and they say Garcia is a better pick than Hunter Green, who we'll get into in a few minutes. Well, Hunter Green's a number one draft pick, but this kid from Canada, his name is Garcia, as I mentioned last name. He's 19 years old. He's actually from Cuba, isn't he? He's from Cuba. And he's six foot three, 170 pounds. Uh, and some of the the comments I heard is the Reds see him as a possible A Rod, that he has that kind of body. They think he's going to top out probably six four, six four and a half, two fifteen, two twenty, and they think he can be a that kind of power hitter. They do not see him as a shortstop. They think he'll probably play third base or left field. But uh, I think that went under the radar. And, you know, the Reds have been going after these Cuban players. Uh, they, they also signed another shortstop who they think will be the shortstop of the future, Alfredo Rodriguez, and a right-handed pitcher, Vladimir Gutierrez. Uh, and they're currently playing in the Reds minor league system. And But, but the Reds, with Hunter Green and these three signings uh, this year, they're all in. I mean, the Reds are into this rebuild, and I think what is is maybe underreported, as you mentioned at the top of the show, the Reds also have the 32nd and what the 36th pick this year. 38. 38. Well, th- those are those are pretty good ball players, 
at that at that level, I mean, you're you're going to get some guys who have a chance to really be impact players. So, uh, you know, that's that's a half a dozen young, t- talented players the Reds would have signed in the last six months. Uh, so they are investing heavily in building their own as opposed to going out uh, through the free agent market. So long story short, we'll get into Hunter Green in a few minutes, but uh, I think it's a big day for the Reds, but it, it's it's been a big two or three months for the Reds as well. Yeah, but the thing about this Garcia signing also was not only did they sign him to a $5 million a year contract, Mark, but they've got to pay a $5 million basically a salary cap tax because they have gone over their salary cap that's allowed by Major League Baseball in the negotiated uh, contract that they've got with the Players Association on foreign players. You're absolutely right. And and the people I was talking to, they said that for the Reds to take this step uh, tells them how sure they are this Garcia kid is the real deal. And that he is going to be an impact player sooner. He's 19 years old, so he's in essence a college sophomore uh, by comparison to other players in college. But these these half dozen players, including the two they have not yet drafted today, it'll be tomorrow, uh, means the Reds have really, really gone out and upgraded their farm system. And with the signing of Sinzel last year and, and Taylor Trammell, uh, you've got a half a dozen players or more that could be on the 25-man roster within three years. And that's that's quite a change in the organization's philosophy, really, uh, of going out and investing. And you bring up a great point. That's a $10 million investment uh, in, in this kid. And they have to believe in him. And it, ironically, the other shortstop they signed, uh, this, this um, Alfredo Rodriguez, they say he's one of the best fielding shortstops they've ever seen. So it's it's kind of exciting. Uh, I hope we're all around long enough to see these guys come into to their their maturity. But uh, you know the, the Reds have. I, I'm really anxious to hear some independent evaluations of their farm system now compared to what it was four or five years ago. Mark, I want to get back into the draft here in a little bit, and we'll talk about the Reds and the Indians. But there's something that has been bothering me ever since Friday night that I think needs to be discussed and normally we don't talk about other sports but there were things that happened over this past weekend mark as far as the nba and the nhl that i think if major league baseball falls into this same trap they are going to have a very very big problem and i'm talking about the officiating in game four of the nba playoffs on friday night when the officials called a technical foul on draymond green in the first half, and then called a second one on him in the third quarter. Everyone along press row in Cleveland, Mark, and on the official scorer's table, heard the officials say in the first half that the technical foul was called upon Draymond Green. And then when they called the second one on him, the officials suddenly realized that, oh, my God, we've got to throw him out of the game. We can't have this happen. And they suddenly changed the first half technical foul. To Steve Kerr. Now, on Saturday night in the NHL playoff game, or Sunday night, I should say, in the NHL playoff game in game six, the Nashville Predators had a goal that was an obvious goal in the second quarter, about eight minutes into the second period. And the officials went to the replay, Mark, and they disallowed the goal. Now, 
it ended up Pittsburgh winning the Stanley Cup, and it may have ended up with Pittsburgh winning the Stanley Cup anyway. That, that's not my point. My point is is that the officiating in the NBA and the NHL, and to some extent the NFL, has gotten to the point where it is on par with the WWE. Only the WWE makes no bones about their matches being fixed and that they're basically just entertainment. Mark, you've got two umpires in Major League Baseball right now that their jobs were saved in Angel Hernandez and C.V. Buckner. Their jobs were literally saved because of the replay rule. The NBA officials rely upon replay. The NHL officials are starting to do the same thing. I am waiting for the day, Mark, when we've got such quality referees, officials, and umpires that we don't need replay anymore. Now, I know that is, that's not going to happen. It's always going to be there because the human element is going to be there. But, Mark, the NBA has long had the problem that, they've, that people have thought that their games are fixed. And Timothy Donahue, who went to jail ten years ago because he fixed a game, doesn't help their argument whatsoever. You've got the NHL right now, Mark, that's going into Las Vegas. You've got the NFL in three years will be going into Las Vegas. There's going to be more and more talk about bookies fixing games, especially in the NHL and the NFL. And I'm afraid that Major League Baseball is going to get caught up in the same thing if they don't start bringing quality umpires into the game. What happened this weekend in those two sports, Mark, and I want to get your opinion. We normally don't go off onto other sports, but this was such a travesty to those two sports that I think it needs to be talked about in the version of Major League Baseball that they can't allow this to happen. Well, first of all, you're talking about three entirely different games uh, in baseball, football, and basketball. The And I've played all three of them. The, the subjectivity level is, is far greater in basketball than the other two. Because a foul, I mean, you could argue every time a team possesses the ball, they're getting fouled. And the problem is that means that sometimes the refs are calling a, a foul that's not a foul. And the next time down the court, the same exact thing happens and they do call a foul. So it, it's, it's back and forth because of the subjectivity. Football, a little less subjectivity involved uh, because you have instant replay. You you have ways to overcome a bad call. And baseball, perhaps, is protected the most because the game is slower. Uh, you, can, you can take the time to get the call right. I'm a big believer in instant replay in baseball. It, it does away with arguments. And it's hard to get a play wrong in baseball today. It can happen. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it's harder <laughs> to have it happen because of the, of the nature of the game and, and the way plays happen. Uh, there's not a lot of contact, for instance, like you have in basketball. And I, I think the most objective thing in football is the, you know, the one play, they say every play, every snap of the football, there could be a holding penalty because of the way the offensive lineman can, can either grab a jersey or not grab it or the way they have their arms positioned, and you, you literally could call holding on every play. So that, that is, that's tougher, that's more subjective. But I don't think baseball is going to be faced with that unless, here, here's where you could really get into trouble. 
And who who is the the, the umpire, the, the the big fat guy, um, who who's now dead? John McSherry. No, no, the he's a black guy. Um, oh, McSherry. Eric Gregg. Eric Gregg. If if you remember how he got fired, that game where he kept calling balls that were a foot outside strikes, that that's because of instant replay. People could tell this guy was comp- he was just mad and called anything a strike. And that got him fired. So that's not going to happen anymore in baseball. Uh, the home plate could be easily uh, umped by cameras. You you could have uh, you could have lasers. You could have you wouldn't need a home plate umpire if you really wanted to eliminate the subjectivity in baseball. Do away with a home plate umpire. Now I'm you know, not the one thing. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm not suggesting we do that. But that is an answer if you were if you felt that there were really like Angel Hernandez, his strike zone is ridiculous, uh, and he shouldn't be a major league umpire. But uh, aside from that issue, I think baseball is pretty insulated. You know, and, and I agree with you. I, I I'm actually in favor of using the laser system behind home plate. Uh, to call the balls and strikes, where the home plate umpire would basically just have an earpiece in his ear, but there's somebody in the upper in the press box that's watching the the, the laser camera and calling the balls and strikes, and just saying ball strike, and the home plate umpire calls it that way. Or you don't have a home plate umpire calling balls and strikes at all; it just comes across. I don't know how you the logistics of that, but nonetheless, it would happen. I'm not arguing. The, the aspect in the NBA, though, Mark, about you know whether a foul is called or not. What the travesty was was that the officials called a technical foul on Draymond Green in the first half. Oh yeah, I know and, the issue. Yeah. yeah, and 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 they they changed it because they did not want him to leave that ball game. They they ran into a problem last year, Mark, where Draymond Green, whom I think argues more than any other athlete in the history of sports. And I'm not exaggerating on this. This guy will argue every call, no matter what. And he, he last year when he got suspended, that seemed to turn the entire series around. I'll be the first one to admit it as a Cavalier fan that had Green played in that game five. They probably would not have won that game and gone on to win the series. Nonetheless, as an official... I have never seen anybody in sports argue a call. Have you ever seen anybody in baseball argue every call throughout their entire career? No. Umpires will throw them out. That's right. And that's what I'm saying about this. There's something that's got to happen in the NBA and NHL, and that's why I'm saying that's where baseball has got to make sure that they don't fall into this trap. You know, they're already falling into the trap where – We've got to speed up the game. They're trying everything possible to speed up the game because TV wants it sped up. Everybody seems to, you know, the media wants it sped up. TV wants it sped up. Everybody wants the game sped up. It has nothing to do with the fact that the game is bad. It's the fact that they can't get it condensed into a three-hour period or or so they think they can't. And that's where I'm saying baseball's got to avoid this adaptation, I guess I should say, of what's going on in the NBA and NHL where just things are just constantly changing and and you can't decide. When you're watching a game, you don't know what's going on out there. 
and the officials could change a call at, the, at, the, at a moment's notice, and it has nothing to do with the play on the floor. I've never understood this argument of, of speeding up baseball. Baseball is no slower or faster than basketball or uh, football. I mean, it's yeah. on, on football games, you have a time slot of one to four on Sunday afternoon. The game is only 60 minutes. Do the math. I mean, there's, there's two hours of commercials, and that doesn't include the dead air time during the 60 minutes of game time. <laughs> so there, there's just not a lot of, of action in football. I love football. I like the games. But if you go to a football, NFL football game, it is boring as hell because there's so many TV timeouts and they take three minutes between each, you know, each timeout or each uh, commercial and they have commercials all the time. So there's two hours of commercials, one hour of play. And in baseball, it's just the opposite. You have two hours of play and one hour of commercials. So I think baseball is a much more it's a much more fast-moving game in, in that regard. Basketball is relegated to the timeouts that they have to have. Uh, so I, this speeding up baseball is absurd. What are you going to say, five minutes, six minutes, then what? No, that's just another five minutes that they could sell commercial time for. Yeah, that, that may be true. I, I don't argue that. But one last thing before we move on here. Yeah. You mentioned Las Vegas. Uh, I don't think having a professional team in Las Vegas makes any any pro- it's no problem at all because Las Vegas is everywhere. I mean, they're they're taking bets on the the Patriots and the Celtics and the Marlins and everybody else. So the fact that the team is there, I don't think has any impact on on the credibility of the game at all, either game. Well, let, let's hope not. I know that they always they always thought it had something to do with the UNLV and the running Rebs, but We'll see what happens. You know, hey, as it goes forward, I'm just saying I don't want to see Major League Baseball fall into the same trap that the NHL and the NBA seem to fall into this past weekend. Mark, it was a great week, and it was a terrible week for the Cincinnati Reds, basically. I mean, they can't, they swept a four-game series from the St. Louis Cardinals, and then they went out to L.A., and they lost three in a row to the Los Angeles Dodgers, so they come into tonight's game against San Diego, which is going to start here in about 50 minutes. Four games under 500 at 29 and 33. They're three games behind the pack of Milwaukee and Chicago in the National League Central, just a couple of games behind the Cubs, but they've gone 5-5 five and five in their last 10. Meanwhile, the Indians, though, they're a game and a half behind Minnesota. Minnesota just keeps purring along. The Twins doing a good job after finishing in last place last year. The Indians are 31 and 29. They went four and six in their last ten games, but they managed to win a game uh, yesterday. But they're off today, and then they've got the Dodgers coming to town, and then the Reds have the Dodgers coming to town this weekend. But before we get into all of that, let's get back into the draft for the Reds because this Hunter Green, the second pick in the draft, the first pick for the Reds, the, with the number two pick, Mark, this kid. I think they've got a decision to make with him because he's as good a hitter as he is a pitcher. Yeah, that's true, but you pay pitchers, starting pitchers are much more valuable. And, um, you know, we've had this discussion, you know, I'm always trying to think of these ways to, to make the money go further. Uh, what is, why is it, maybe you can answer this for me because I don't have an answer. Why is it baseball is so opposed to a two-way player? There's two-way players in, in football. There, not a lot, but there have been. 
uh, you know, in, in basketball, you have defensive and offensive players. They play, the, you know, they play in the, at the same time. In baseball, why are you afraid to put Michael Lorenzen in left field if you need to? Or, or to develop a hitter? I mean, some of these guys who are playing, like shortstops, as an example, uh, they, they say that a major league shortstop, when he releases the ball, he reaches over 100 miles an hour on a close play. These guys got cannons for arms. A third baseman, they say it's, he's 97 to 98 miles an hour. Now we're talking about a guy who's throwing, you know, he's trying to throw hard on a close play. Uh, center fielders, uh, 92, 93 miles an hour. And they're not pitching, but they got an arm to pitch. What, what would be wrong with developing this kid as a left fielder and also as a short reliever? He can throw 102, and he's only, you know, this kid's only 17 years old, and he's throwing 102? What's he going to be like when he gains 25, 30 pounds of muscle? And they say he's got a smooth motion, that he, he barely puts any pressure on his arm. Yeah, that, that was the, one of the big reasons they signed him as a pitcher. They, they, they're going to make him a pitcher, but uh, again, this, you're right, the kid can, he can hit for power. He won, he won the amateur home run hitting contest against college players when he was 17. That's how good a hitter this kid is. So you've got Michael Lorenzen, and wouldn't it be kind of cool if you've got a 25-man roster, rather than worrying about carrying 12 pitchers, what about having three position players who could relieve? They could come in and... I don't remember his name. He was with the Cardinals. Remember, he he was uh, a left-handed pitcher? Rick Ann Keel. Yes, they made him into a hitter. Yeah, and Rick Ann Keel... Again, he was one of those guys who could throw well over 100 miles an hour, and he had the best arm for a center fielder in baseball. He, the problem with Ankiel is he couldn't hit. And, and well, he, could, he couldn't pitch either. He couldn't. Yeah, I was just going to say the other problem was he couldn't pitch either. But he had he had the skills. You know, it's probably unfair. Had he come up as a hitter, maybe he would have you know made because he came up his first year. He hit 275, had 13, 14 home runs. And he, had, he hadn't, you know, hit in the big leagues before. He, he, he finally got figured out, but, uh, his, his problem was not his arm. He had a great arm. His problem was his head. He, he couldn't find home plate. So, but going back to the issue of if you had a roster where you had, what was the team? They, they, they put their, one of their pitchers in left field if a left hand hitter was up and then, Moved him to right field if a right hand hitter was up. So it was well, Joe left. Madden's done that a lot. Yeah, J- Joe Madden did that a number of. Yeah, he even did that when he was in in Tampa Bay and they had the DH. He would do that just yeah. flip flop the right fielder, left fielder, pitcher. He he did that a lot. But yeah, I know who you're talking about. I think I think the first guy that actually did that, if I'm not mistaken, was Ralph Houck. But it wasn't when he was with the Yankees. It was when he's with the Tigers. Well, people forget these kids, like this kid today, the Red Sign. This, he, this kid is a great athlete. He, he's, he looks like he looks like Tiger Woods, by the way. I don't know if you've seen him or not. Looks just like Tiger when he was young. But he he can play center field. He can play shortstop. This kid can catch a fly ball. You know, he, he can catch a fly ball. And, and I mean, having him in left field to come in and face one or two batters, uh, what's what's the what's wrong with that? I, I don't understand the mentality of baseball management. They're so conservative, and they don't take chances where it doesn't hurt anything. Yeah, that's the one thing about baseball. It 
it takes them forever to make any changes. I mean, look how long they've had the DH in one league and not in the other. That's right. Uh, and, and actually, wasn't it? remember when they put the DH in, Mark, they just kind of slipped it in in front of everybody and nobody knew they were even discussing it. Well, the union brought it up because it means, you know, an extra longevity for a certain player, maybe a guy who's ready to retire but he can still hit. So it has done that. It's kept guys in the big leagues. Uh, but yeah, I wish I wish they'd do away with it. I, I don't think it's good for baseball, but I think it's too ingrained now in the American League psyche that they probably won't make that change. But uh, back to Hunter Hunter Green, uh, I don't know if you saw the draft, but they had a uh, a thing interview with him. This kid is very bright. Apparently, he did really well in the SATs. He's a really smart kid. Uh, handles himself extremely well with the press, very self-deprecating, very humble. And I think that went a long way with a town like Cincinnati, where they want good citizens. He said the first thing he wanted to do is go down to the ghetto and and tell kids like him that they can make their way up. And here's a little quiz for you, Dave. How many African-American players are there in the big leagues, percentage-wise? Percentage-wise? Yeah. I'm going to say probably about 26%. Five. Wow. Five percent. It's it's unbelievable when you hear that statistic. Uh, so each team has, is, what, 30 teams. There's 600 players on the 40-man roster. Or no, uh, 650 players on the 40-man roster, something like that. And only five percent. That's only 30 or 35 African-American players. That That is an astonishing statement of Major League Baseball's lack of popularity in the inner city. Kids, Lance McAllister was talking. Pardon me. They, the kids in the inner city just don't want to play baseball. No, they go right to the they go right to the blacktop and play basketball or football. You know, yeah, or, or they do they run track or they do something, but they don't play baseball. You know, Lance McAllister brought up this afternoon that. Hunter Green may be baseball's LeBron James. And the reason he said that is because Hunter Green was on the Sports Illustrated cover a couple of weeks ago. He's a star before he has ever hit the Major League Baseball field. He's going to be the type of kid, Mark, that Reds fans are going to watch all the way through the rookie leagues, single A, double A, triple A, all the way into the major leagues. You know, the thing about it is, though, Mark, First of all, do you agree with that? Do you think he's the he's the LeBron James of baseball? Well, that yeah, I, I get what Lance is saying, but he he's got to produce on the field. And there's been other number one draft picks that have been failures. That's what they want him to be. But here's the problem, Dave: if he's as good as advertised, that he is the next uh, Joey Votto, or I'm trying to think of a Reds pitcher who has been great. There hasn't been any, but the the, the next great pitcher in baseball. The Reds won't be able to keep him. He, you know, he'll play six years with the Reds, and then he'll be traded. So that's the problem with this. And when the team, the Reds would not be able to afford to sign if if the guy from Washington is looking for a five hundred million dollar contract today. What's it going to be like in five or six years when this kid, if he's as good as advertised, and he's won twenty games three times for the Reds in his first six years? What's he going to be worth? I mean, there, there's not there's not enough money. 
you, you couldn't keep him. So no. what, what could happen in a situation like this? Let's say this guy is as good as advertised. He wins 20 games his first three years. What would he be worth on the trade market at that point? Oh, a ton. I a mean, ton. You'd get half of a minor league system. That's exactly right. And I think that is what is going to be the evolution of a team like the Reds in, in, a, in a small market. They're not going to be able to keep these guys, but they can build value of those players and then trade them for, like you say, a, a king's ransom for, for minor league talent. It, it's, it's going to decimate the fan base if this kid's as good as advertised and he's gone after three or four years. So, uh, but, you know, pitching is very delicate. Homer Bailey was supposed to be the next great thing. Robert Stevenson, the next great thing. I, I can go down and, and name you 20 players, 20 pitchers the Reds have had over the last 10 years that just didn't work out. Now, were they as good as this kid? I don't know. But look at Chapman. Chapman throwing 103, 104 miles an hour. Who's he play for now, Dave? <laughs> the Yankees. That's right. And he played for the Cubs and the Yankees. This is, you know, he's been with three teams in, 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 uh, in three years. The Reds can't afford to keep a guy like Chapman, and they won't be able to keep a guy like Hunter Green. Well, now they've got Hunter Green. And, you know, we want to beg, beg uh, pardon of our listeners out there. We haven't talked that much about the Indians tonight, but that's basically because the draft is going on, and, and that's the big thing with the Reds right now is the draft. The Indians, of course, Encarnacion seems to be breaking out. He's he's doing pretty well for the Indians right now. So is Santana. But the pitching for the Indians, especially in the bullpen, they need to get that, that shaped up. And we're going to talk about the Indians coming up just a little bit later on in the show. But as I said, right now we're talking mainly about the Major League Baseball draft on tonight's show. So where are they at? I'm trying to look up here and see where they're at in the draft order. I know the Reds' next pick comes up at 32nd, and then they've got the 38th pick. So they've got three picks of the top 38 mark, and they've already picked up Hunter Green. What else do they want to pick up in this draft? Well, what I've heard is now they're going after some position players, and they're going after an impact bat uh, to, to kind of round out their draft. But I, I don't think they pick again till tomorrow. I think it's the first round is the first 30 tonight, the first 29, whatever it is, um, if somebody isn't going to get, get a pick. But, um, yeah, I, the Reds, they have, I think, done their job so far. Now it's up to the players to perform. But the Reds are spending the money. And, you know, you can't fault them if a player doesn't work out, if they give it a shot. I mean, they're, they're, they're doing their best to, to, to locate the best talent the best citizen they can get. And by the way, you would mentioned earlier today when we talked about the show tonight that there was a guy who uh, was on a sexual predator list, and I was afraid he was a top three pick, but he wasn't. He was like pick number 180. He was projected in the, in the 180 range. So he would be a third or fourth round pick. But n nonetheless, uh, we were, you and I were afraid that he might impact today's draft, but he, but he didn't. Uh, he certainly impacted his own life, unfortunately. But uh, the, I think the Reds did a good job of their homework. If Hunter Green doesn't work out, you know, that that's you, you take your chances and roll the dice, and that's it. You know, what's interesting is that uh, Virginia 
University of Virginia. They had two players in the top eight that were drafted, Mark, uh, two of them. Uh, one of them, Paven Smith, the first baseman, went to the Arizona Diamondbacks. And then right after that, at number eight, Adam Hazley went from the University of Virginia to the Philadelphia Phillies. So Virginia really being well represented in this draft. Yeah, that that was kind of interesting. Uh, that the you know the the power center of baseball has kind of changed. You know, it used to be you know Miami. I think this was the first year in thirty some years they've not been in the World Series, and baseball has grown in, in such a way that some of these not mid market but some of these smaller schools that were not known for baseball historically have stepped up and now become baseball powers. And, and, yeah, and, and it's not so much the SEC. Matter of fact, University of Kentucky uh, made their first Super Regional this year. Yeah, that's right. You know, another team uh, out of this area that, that has done very well recently is Louisville. You know, Louisville is a real power. And, you know, they, they play a big-time schedule. And, you know, Adam Duvall came from Louisville. And so there's, they're developing some talent down there, and that, that, that's good to see and hear that, that these other smaller schools, not smaller, but schools historically not associated with baseball, uh, are, are going out there and signing some big-name big high school players and, and making it, uh, you know, being very competitive at a national level. Louisville actually had, about three or four years ago, a pitcher named Kidston that uh, I played high school basketball with his father. Is that right? Yeah, he went went to the University of Louisville and uh, ended up, I believe, in the Tiger system and ended up getting an arm injury, and he's no longer playing Major League Baseball. But Louisville has really come about lately and has had an outstanding college baseball program. I mean, you, you're looking at a lot of teams, Mark. You know, for example, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt had one of their pitchers was the number three pick in the draft, and, and you know, a lot of things happen, but when you look at some of these schools, especially when you look at warm-weather schools as opposed to cold-weather schools, there's not a lot of difference anymore. Well, mainly because a lot of these cold-weather schools, like Ohio State, you can play baseball on the inside because they, they have indoor facilities that you know you can get your batting reps, you can get your, your pitching, and even if you can't play because of the weather, you're still working out and you're getting a lot of weight training and it's so much different than when you and I were in college where we never had any kind of facilities like that. I mean, we were playing in snow and didn't have, uh, you know, a strength coach and, and all those things. So, uh, a much different game. And these kids today, uh, you know, you could probably look at Hunter Green and, and the, and the elite team he played with this year as a 17 year old. And they would have been competitive at the, at the high minor league, if not the, the major league level in some cases, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Because they're just, they start playing baseball when they're eight, and they're playing 70, 75, 80 games a year. They're lifting weights, nutrition, all these things. They're just so much more advanced than they were 30, 40 years ago. Mark, I know you really can't compare series to series. But what did the Reds do against St. Louis that they weren't able to do against the Dodgers? Well, first of all, Adam Duvall did not play the first two games, and, and there were situations where he could have he could have made an impact had he been able to play. Not that they had made a difference. Uh, the, the first game they lost seven to two 
but they had early in the game runners in scoring position, and uh, you know his position came up and, and nothing happened. Uh, the second game they should have won yesterday. They had seven to three in the eighth inning, and I have never. You don't hear me complain much about Reds management, but the manager lost that game. Uh, he, he just he, he if you're gonna bring in your closer, let him start the inning. He's not used to coming in with runners on base, and uh, Brian just he, he brought in Iglesias with runners on I think runners on first and second with nobody out, and he, he wasn't ready. He wasn't used to pitching from the from the stretch, and it, it was one of the biggest meltdowns. Honest to God, I can't remember in the last five, six, seven years. I can't remember a meltdown like that of a top reliever. Uh, to, to absolutely blow the game for the Reds. Mark, you're sounding like me when Manny Acta used to manage the Indians. Well, you know, as the Reds develop this young talent, I think what they need to look at is bringing in a young, aggressive management team, on-the-field management team, not guys in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, but guys in their 30s and 40s who can relate to these young players because they're going to have a ton of, of young players, and, and, the, and the great thing is, when you are drafting shortstops and you're drafting pitchers, that means you're drafting talented athletes, and that means if they if they come, say a Hunter Green comes up, uh, or Garcia comes up, and they're as good as advertised, well then you're going to have guys on the roster that you can trade and keep that farm system going, but you need management that can relate to these young kids. Because I don't think the current managers and a lot of these teams can. It's a, you're not only a generation away, you're two or three generations away. Look at Dusty Baker with the Washington Nationals. You know, maybe they want a father figure there, I don't know. But he's 70, he's almost 70 years old. And I don't think he's going to be able to relate to a 19 year old kid. Mark. I heard Delino DeShields, who's the manager of the Louisville Bats, the Reds' AAA farm system, talking about three players this weekend. And the three players that he was talking about was Jesse Winker, Cody Reed, and Robert Stevenson. And in talking about the three, I thought the things that he said were extremely enlightening. About Jesse Winker, he said he was so proud of him because people want him to be a 25 to 30 home run hitter a year, and he's not that type of hitter, and he has stayed within himself and not tried to become a home run hitter, and in the meantime has kept his average up around 310, 315 for the entire year, sprays the ball all over the field, but he also said that this is the type of kid that is going to learn how to hit home runs at the major league level, but right now, He's not capable of doing that, and he's the type of guy that they they thought Joey Votto was going to be when he came up. Same type of hitter. Do you see any any similarities between Votto and Winker? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I said that a couple of years ago. I went down when Winker was playing in Dayton, and he he doesn't take a big stride. You know, he, he's very balanced at the plate, and he has a beautiful swing. And I remember talking to one of my friends who said, well, this guy's going to be a, a Judy. A Judy, a Judy is a, a single sitter. 
I said, you know, with that body, I think a guy's going to gain 20, 25 pounds of muscle in the next two or three years, and he's going to be a home run hitter. When Votto first came up, he was not a home run hitter. He was a gap hitter, line drive hitter. And that was the big, you know, that was the big complaint about Joey Votto. Well, he's never going to be a, he's at a power position, and he's not going to hit home runs. Well, Joey Votto is going to hit 40 home runs this year. And he, he is so strong. That guy is unbelievably strong. He's the toughest out in baseball. And that's just not my opinion. I heard that over the weekend uh, from the Dodgers and the Cardinal announcers talking about Joey Votto. He, nobody wants to pitch to Votto. And, and, and Winker is the same kind of hitter. And he will make contact. He's going to hit a lot of doubles. And you watch. You just watch what happens over the next five or six years. He'll hit 25, 30 home runs. All right. Then he talked about Cody Reed. And he said the thing that impresses him most about Cody Reed is he has made a couple of adjustments to his motion. And he's worked on it a tremendous amount on the sideline. But he carries it into the ball game. And he works on it there. And he, he said Cody Reed is going to be a guy that's going to be brought up to the Reds here very, very quickly. And he's going to make a contribution because he has worked on his craft. He's worked on what the Reds told him that he needed to work on when he was sent back down to Louisville. And he will be ready to go when the bell rings and the Reds call him back up. I think he's a very important part of the Reds' future, Mark. I do, too. And, you know, the I, I thought in that trade they made with Kansas City, he was the gold plate standard. I mean, he was the guy that I thought was going to be – I think he's better than Finnegan. He's certainly better than the guy they had last year. I've forgotten his name already. Uh, he looked like a 140-pound left-hand guy to throw about 30 miles an hour. Uh, but th- this, this kid can throw. I like his attitude. He's very competitive, maybe to a fault. But I like that. I like to see a pitcher get ticked off when he does something wrong and, and scream into his glove and – he cares, you know. He he really cares. So yeah, I think he has a big future with the Reds, and I know what you're going to say next about Stevenson. So go ahead and say it. <laughs> well, then Delino De Shields made the comment that Robert Stevenson, when he does listen and works on things on the sideline, just will not take it into the ball game and work on it there. He has no confidence in anything that he makes changes to. And he said until he gets past that fact, he is going to be nothing better than a triple-A pitcher. Yeah, I think we've said this before. You know, he reminds me of a guy that, that you, you have, uh, Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer. Uh, I, I hear the same, the, the same kind of comments. I, I don't know Trevor Bauer that well, but what you just said, I've heard about Trevor Bauer. Now, I don't know if you, you know better than I if they're similar, but uh, great arms, but I think you say it best, you know, he's got a two-cent brain. Uh, and that, that unfortunately, may be what we're dealing with with Stevenson. I don't know. Yeah, well, with Trevor Bauer, I would put him just a notch above Stevenson because somehow, some way, uh, the Indians have gotten through to Trevor Bauer and sort of broken through that facade where he will not listen to anyone. And the case is is that now he seems to be listening, but the Indians basically, they, they just kind of negotiate with him 
as to, hey, if you'll do it our way, we'll let you do this your way. And they kind of barter with him to a certain extent. But the fact of the matter is is that I think Bauer listens a little bit more than it seems like Stevenson does. And, and maybe it's to the point where, and I'm not proposing a Bauer for Stevenson trade, don't get me wrong, but maybe both of those guys are better off going someplace else and just getting new, you know, new duds. Well, wasn't Trevor Bauer already traded? Yeah, he was already from Arizona. Yeah, that's right. So that's my point. Maybe that, you know, if, if he's further along than Stevenson, maybe that's the reason, which means you're right. You know, maybe there's a player out there that hasn't panned out for another team that you say, look, maybe it's a change of scenery issue that is needed, not not just because they uh, haven't performed. But, you know, you can get into a situation where you just lose confidence in yourself, you lose confidence in the people around you as much, and maybe it does become a, a trade that works out for both, you know, do, both players. Uh, that that you, you you trade Stevenson to somebody who can do something with him. Maybe have, they have a better idea. Okay, now we come down to the trivia question of the night. Mark, what is Scooter Jeanette's first name? Um. Dang it, I knew this. Is it, is it, wait a minute. Is it Ryan? It's Ryan. <laughs> Ryan Jeanette. Now, in the annals of baseball history, you've got Pete Rose, who's going to have the statue blazoned this weekend against the Dodgers over a three-day Pete Rose weekend. You've got Johnny Bench. You've got Ernie Lombardi. You've got all the greats that the Reds have had. Frank Robinson. All Tony Perez, all of the greats, Barry Larkin, and Scooter Jeanette is the first man in Reds history to hit four home runs in one game. Yeah, it is kind of hard to believe. I remember when I was in high school, the Reds had an outfielder named Art Shamsky. And I'll never forget this. I was on my roof at my house. We had a house in Kettering, Ohio. On my roof, listening to the game, and his last two at-bats, Shamsky hit two home runs. Well, the next day, he came up as a pitch hitter and hit another home run. And then on Sunday, he started the game and hit a fourth home run, four home runs in a row. And I, I never forgot that my entire life. But you name all those great players for the Reds, all the power hitters, Ted Klazuski and Gus Bell and Wally Post and Johnny Bench and all those guys, Scooter Jeanette, five 5'8", 185 pounds. You know, he's small, but I tell you, he's got some big pipes on him. He's got big arms, big forearms, and he's got some power. And, I, I you know, I hope that uh, the Reds can find a spot for him. I don't know where he goes, but that's a tough bat. He, he's hitting 310. He's got more RBIs <laughs> per bat than anybody in, in baseball. I don't know how you can't play him somewhere. And it was only a couple of days after Brandon Phillips went on a tirade about how the Reds gave away his number so quickly. Exactly right. And, you know, it's interesting. The Reds have a center fielder with one home run, which is a power position in most teams. Uh, and they, they still lead the league in home runs. That's hard to believe. <laughs> Imagine if they had Jeanette, uh, you know, playing in center field or have uh, Sh Shebler in center and Jeanette in right or left. 
the Reds would probably be ahead in home runs by 10 or 15. Now, I have to ask you this because I, I, I had to mishear this over the weekend, that when they talked about Brandon Phillips and the tirade that he went in, and it wasn't really a tirade. I mean, I understand what Brandon was saying, and I get it, and, and his ego may have been bruised a little bit. We all know Brandon is all about his ego. But nonetheless, you know, hey, the guy was a great player for the Reds. Now, there is a list of numbers that are retired by the Reds. And I found it amazing that when I heard this list, I heard it driving down the road. When I heard this list, the number five and Johnny Bench was not included in the numbers that the Reds have retired. Is that true? I can't believe that, no, because he's in the Reds Hall of Fame, so I'm sure they retired the number. And I can't think of anybody who's worn it since then. I, You know, I, I can't remember it either, but he omitted the number five. Well, you've got Fred Hutchinson, number one. You've got, uh, John, I'd say, Johnny Bench at number five. You've got Joe Morgan at number eight. Um, 11, Tony 12. Perez, 24. Pete Rose, 14. Yeah. Sparky Anderson, number 10. Yeah. And I'm thinking about the the big red... Frank Robinson, number 20. 20. Uh, I think that's it. Yeah, I think I, I'm that, sure Johnny said Bitches. there were 10 of them. 10 of them. Oh, how many um, did just name? Uh, pardon me? How many did we just name? I don't know. I, I wasn't counting at the time. Well, it's close to ten for sure. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just found that hard to believe. Let, let's talk a little bit about the Indians, Mark. When should I start panicking? They're only two games above five hundred, but they're still a game and a half out of first place. Well, I was going to ask you that, and I've got a friend in Chicago, uh, Dave Schultz, who's a absolute diehard Cub. Former Philadelphia Flyer, correct? No, that, not that Dave Schultz. Okay. Uh, monsters of no, the Broad Street bullies. Bullies. But you know, I think the Indian fans and Cub fans need to start worrying. It's not that their teams are are, are not competitive right now because both divisions are, are pretty tight. But the Cubs lost again today. I think that's what four in a row they've lost five in a row. They they go on these spurts. They'll win five in a row. They'll lose five in a row. And they're not getting good pitching. And the thing that surprises me most is that National League pitchers have figured these guys out. Now, we always talk about adjustments. Well, the, the, the pitchers have made adjustments. Now it's up to Cub hitters to make their adjustments to the adjustments. And if that doesn't happen, uh, you know, the Cubs are going to have a hard time scoring runs. And the problem is, last year they had great hitting and great pitching and this year they're not getting great of either. So are, should they be worried? I don't know. But Indian fans, I was going to ask you the same questions. When, are, when, when do you get worried? Well, I, you know, as, as long as we stay within striking distance of Minnesota, I, I don't have a problem with it. And normally the Indians are an August team anyway. If, if you look at the last few years under Terry Francona, their best, their best months have been July and August. For some reason, that's when they really seem to turn it on. Now, a few years ago when they won 10 in a row to end the season and make the playoffs, of course, that was in September. But nonetheless, you know, it's always been July and August that this team has taken off. Well, right now, they're 31 
and 29. So they've played 60 games, Mark. Now, you know, a lot of people say it differently, but I guess at the end of the day, every team is going to lose 60 games. Every team is going to win 60 games. It's what you do in the other 42 games that counts. And like I said, everybody says it differently. Some people say 50-50. Some people say 55-55. I'm just bringing up 60-60 since the Indians have played 60 games. And they're two games above 500, and they haven't really hit their stride yet, and neither is Encarnacion, although he's starting to. He's starting to get his swing down and get comfortable in an Indian's uniform. So am I panicking yet? No. But if we get to the end of July and we're still hovering around the 500 mark, then I think I've got a problem. Well, you know, I think what we're talking about here, there's no question in my mind that last year the Cleveland Indians and the Chicago Cubs were the best two teams in baseball. End of story. And it just shows how what happened with the Reds this year, what's happened with Houston and the Cubs over the last four or five years, where you can revamp a team now with drafting. You don't have to go to the free agent market. The thing is, are you prepared to lose 104 games a year for a couple of years? That's what Houston did. That's what the Cubs did. They were mm-hmm. awful, awful teams. But look what happened to them. They built themselves back up, and now they're contenders. And that it's, it's kind of interesting what's happening with St. Louis this year. I mean, they're, they're, again, nobody's out of it in, in the Central Division because everything is so close. But the, the, the parity that you have in Major League Baseball now, uh, I cannot foresee any team, I don't care how much money they have, r- having a run like Atlanta did, where they won 13 divisions in a row back in the 90s and uh, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Uh, that's not going to happen anymore, ever. And the, yeah, I agree. And the idea of a New York Yankees dynasty again is never going to happen. If you can win a World Series like the Cubs did last year, you know what? I told my friend yesterday, hey, Dave, it's only going to be another 107 years till you win again. You know, because it could be that long if a team, I mean, the Cubs, if they have a couple more injuries and then they got to trade some of their young players in a couple years, their window will have closed. Now, they did win a World Series. That's great. But look at the Indians. Their their window may be closing next year or the year after. Because if you don't win, you can't stand still. You've got to be growing or you're going to be receding. And that's not just the Indians or the Reds. It's every team. Yeah, and, and that's where I'm a little worried about the Indians because, you know, they, they've got the pitching. They've got the pitching signed up through the end of the year, through the, the, basically the 2021 season. So they've got everybody locked up pretty much for about the next four or five years as far as their starting rotation is concerned. That being said, the Indians really, you know, there's just something missing from this team. And the only player really that they lost was Rajay Davis and uh, the uh, first baseman, um, Napoli, that ended up going to Texas. Now, he has not been able to put you know go go back and and relive the magic that he provided Cleveland a year ago especially in Texas because Texas is really having a tough time mark but then they're in a division with Houston and Houston's just they've got the best record of baseball mark at 44 and 20 
And the look, Astros do. Look where they were four years ago. Yeah, I mean they're they're almost the Cubs of last year. That's right. That's right. You know, and they were they were exactly where the Cubs were four years ago. Yeah, that's exactly where the Cubs were. That's kind of a neat thing, frankly, because it gives teams like the Reds, who have gone through three years of the worst collective record in baseball the last three years, and I'd be surprised if they play 500 ball this year. But they're going to be close. They'll probably be five or six games under 500 at the end of the year when it's all said and done. But they have a chance next year now. They've got great power hitting. They've got a good bullpen except for yesterday. And if they get their starting pitching back, they can actually compete next year. So, And then with the young players they have in the minor leagues, you know, Senzel could come up next year. The Reds are in pretty good shape going forward. I, I don't like what's going to happen the rest of the year, but uh, the point being baseball teams can recover from years of mediocrity that they used to experience where you could go and, like, like the Pirates did in the 90s, they, what, 24 years or 23 years without making the playoffs? And we'll see what happens with that. Mark, what, what's going to happen this weekend as far as the Pete Rose celebration? Well, I think Reds fans, you know, what I this has been coming for a long time, so I've known about it for a long time. But what it interested me was that the Philadelphia fans have voted Pete Rose into their Hall of Fame, and that, that's two that's two teams, two cities that love Pete Rose. They had a special vote of Philly fans, and it was like eighty to twenty percent voted for Pete Rose. That means that baseball fans around the world, or at least around Major League Baseball, by and large love Pete Rose. So why in the hell is he not in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> and this may be his last big his last big hurrah of being recognized and, and I'm happy for him. Mark, what are the Reds I mean obviously they've they've got San Diego and then they come home for the Dodgers this weekend, correct? That's correct. Yep. And then as far as the Indians yeah, they, are concerned, go ahead. Well, it's just that the Reds, uh, they, they're going to have a tough series against the, uh, the Dodgers, but near the end of the month they've they got to play within the division. And I think this last two weeks of June is going to be very telling for them the rest of the year. And as far as the Indians are concerned, as we said, they're off tonight. They've got the Dodgers coming up at home for the next three games. They've got them on Tuesday, Wednesday, night and then Thursday afternoon and then they go to Minnesota to take on the Twins this weekend in a three game set that one should be an interesting series they really haven't been able to get the Twins number so far this year but they'll try to do that again this weekend Mark we'll talk to you again next week have a good one David that's going to do it for tonight's show glad you could join us here this evening hope you could join us again next Monday night here on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show so be sure to join us then as we talk more about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. Until then, I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good night, everybody.